So let me just give you a welcome from myself. We're in the fourth and final part of our series, The Good Works. And of course, this is connected with our final letter of our creed vision, uh, Deploy, when we look at the works that God has us to do. And the title of our message this morning is Standing Strong in the Face of Opposition. Standing Strong in the Face of of opposition. My grandparents <clears throat> came from a generation that was very familiar with the idea of standing strong in the face of opposition. In fact, they knew what it was to have the pay the cost for freedom. And today, on Remembrance Day, uh, as we continue our studies in the book of Nehemiah, we look at this idea of the cost that people had to pay for standing up against the opposition of Nazism to oppose uh, radical ideology which threatens to steal our freedom and our way of life. I do remember on days like this, my dad's dad, my, my granddad, who fought in both wars. He was medically evacuated. He was part of the D-Day landings, and he saw terrible things, but he also made a stand to oppose Nazi Germany. My Uncle Robert was one of the first wave that, um, that came into the Belsen Nazi concentration camp uh, coming on the end of the Second World War, saw some horrific things, which reminded him again of the importance of making a stand against, in opposition against such radical ideology. My mother's cousin shot down over France. This is a, a young man who, over the Christmas period, exchanged with another man who was a family member, who was a, a father, and he wasn't, says, I'll take your flight tonight. And that was the night he was shot down. My uncle Cecil, after the Second World War, who saw action in the Suez Canal. I remember people, my, my cousin Mark, uh, who was a, a part of the par Paras, who saw action in the Falklands War. Maybe you and your family have such stories. It, it, in days like this, it becomes personal to so many people. In fact, the numbers, they're, they're breathtaking. In the First World War, 700,000 British soldiers lost their life. And a further 382,000 in the Second World War. We remember them today. And all those who have died protecting our country since that day. So that we can live in freedom. It's important that we don't forget it didn't stop after the Second World War. Since then, 7,192 British service personnel have been killed in active service in 28 countries, 69 in just the last two years. We remember them. We honor them today. And all those who have since died protecting our country today so that we can live in freedom. Today, we remember brave servicemen and women who stood strong in the face of incredible opposition. They became an opposition. 
to people who would threaten both their family and the freedoms of generations to come. And yes, it's true that many of us today won't have to pick up weapons. Many of us today will not have to pick up and have the call to go on the beaches of Europe or across the world and have to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And that's true, but the principle I want to get across this morning as we look at our text is that if you stand up and do anything for God, if you stand up and you advance and you move forward, maybe God's leading you to do something in your life. Maybe you're being prompted to do something. Maybe if you do something meaningful, if you do something different, if you do something with a generous spirit which benefits others, I need you to understand the principle of our text this morning is that you should expect opposition. You should expect opposition. And there's obstacles that come in your way. There's spiritual resistance that's going to be applied to you. And yes, there might not be something physical like our forefathers did. But in our lives today, if we're going to advance the gospel, if we're going to fulfill the vision of this church, I want you to understand you can expect opposition both from the outside and from within the church. In fact, it's a principle that goes all the way through the Bible. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was resisted by the serpent, distracting them from the will of God. Moses had his Pharaoh. David had his Goliath. Jesus, well, Herod, Pharisees, Jewish leaders, Judas, the devil, demons... Nehemiah, in our context today, he had some ballot and Tobiah. Let me just give you the backstory. Maybe some of you haven't been in the last uh, three sessions that we've done in the last three weeks. But uh, Nehemiah, just an ordinary man. He's, he, he's a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. And, he, and the children of Israel have been brought into bondage in Babylon, in the Persian Empire. And this man was serving the king thousands of miles away from home, and yet, and yet he heard the plight of his people, and he knew that the temple had been broken down, and he knew that city walls in Jerusalem had been broken down, and the people had been scattered, and his heart was broken. And yes, we know the story from previous weeks that he approached the king, and God gave him favor. And he started on this incredible journey of trusting God, of spiritual leadership, of believing God for something that appeared to be impossible at the time. And he started to rebuild the walls and he pulled people uh, along with him. And he started to build the gates before he started to build the walls. He's built the sheep gate and the fish gate and the valley gate and the horse gate, the Bible says. It says he built the dung gate and the water gate. I know which gate I would prefer to live by. Uh, the water gate would be my, my vote. But he built, built the gates and then he started to build the walls. And what was incredible when you read the passage in its context, he didn't have carpenters or bricklayers to start with. He had like goldsmiths and he had perfume makers. How do you get a perfume maker to build a gate? And yet the leadership 
that Nehemiah brought with the vision that he had in his heart given by God inspired people to do incredible things. It's a little bit like me, a pastor, asking me, I mean, I wouldn't know where to start when it comes to building a gate uh, for, for a city. And that's the kind of people that he had working for him, and yet he inspired him. And so the progress started to be made. You started to see the gates go up. You started to see the walls go up. Little bit by little bit, he started to make progress. But how many people know that when you start making progress and you start to move forward, as you get down to work, the walls go up, but something else goes up. Opposition goes up. Advancement always stirs up opposition. Advancement, moving forward with a vision, breaking the status quo, moving forward will always stir up opposition in our lives. So when you come and get down to work, opposition shows up. And this is what we see in our passage in Nehemiah chapter 4. And this is what it says here, when Samballat heard that they were rebuilding the walls, he became angry. It's amazing what people become angry about, isn't it? When you see people changing it, Samballat and his crew had a lot to lose. They had a lot going on in the status quo. They had a lot of political power that they were just about to lose if Nehemiah is successful. And yet he started to stir up opposition. He called them feeble in verse 2. He called them feeble. The Hebrew word here is, is more than just, oh, he's just calling them a little name. This, the idea here is like a fresh flower being chopped off and chopped down and dying. He's saying that what they're doing and who they are are hopeless. They're lifeless. Anything that they do is not going to succeed. In fact, there's this subtle threat that he wants them to die. He wants them to be killed off. And then he goes on to talk about all the insults in verse 3 and verse 4, talking about how can they possibly do this? Who do they think that they are? When you get down to work, opposition always shows up. This is so true in our own lives. Maybe there's people here over the last couple of weeks, maybe there's people saying, well, I, I'm going to get back into church again. Maybe you've been away for a while, and the first Sunday you decide, right, I'm coming back to church this Sunday, oh, all the big arguments break out in the car. Opposition shows up. Maybe you make a decision, I, I'm going to get out of debt. I've been struggling with debt for so long. You come and get some support from the, from the cap office and you make a determined effort that your spending is going to be under control and then your car breaks down and you're faced with a 700-pound um, uh, bill. Opposition shows up. Maybe you make a decision, you know, I've heard all this about deploy and about the good works and, 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 and the church needing me and me serving in the church. And you felt called to the children's ministry in Sparks and you turn up one Sunday and says, I'm available. And you start serving with the young people. And it just happens to be the Sunday morning when one young, one young child has had too much Cheerios for breakfast that morning and <laughs> goes all over your front. 
and you're like, I just don't need this. Because when you start, decide to make a stand, spiritual opposition will show up in your life. Maybe there's a, there's a dream that's been placed in your heart by God. You've, you've wanted a ministry. And over the last two or three weeks, I've had different people coming to my office and saying, Ian, I've, I've been stirred up by the messages. I've had this in my heart for such a long time. Can I share it with you? Can I just leave it with you? I really feel that this is what I want to do to serve the church. We've got various different ministries in the pipeline. Maybe might come to fruition uh, next year. But maybe there's a dream in your heart and you've been stirring up. And then, and then you decide to, 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 to reveal it to somebody, you, you take the opportunity, you take the chance, you share it with someone that you know. And they turn around and say, you've got to be kidding me, you, <laughs> you, you going to do that? Who do you think you are? And there's something that gets crushed on the inside of you. Because when you decide to step out, spiritual opposition steps up. It's the way of the enemy that we have, the way of spiritual opposition uh, in our souls, the enemy of our souls, the devil, the Bible says, creeps around like a roaring lion, seeing who he can devour. The spiritual, um, a spiritual fight is at play. But it's interesting to me is, is um, you're going to have your critics. You're going to have your Sam Ballots in your life. But my, my, my interesting response here when I, when I look at this text is what did Nehemiah do with his critics? You're always going to have your critics. You're always going to have your haters. You're always going to have your people who feel threatened by the advancement and the changes that you're making or the dream that God's put in your life. And what does he do? How does he respond? Well, what's interesting to me is that he doesn't make a response. That's his response. Now, there are, there are times where if someone's going to come uh, and... Uh, and, and, and bring absolute violence. Yes, of course, he had a sword in one hand and he had the trowel to keep building the wall in the other hand. He was ready if needed, but when it came to just the critics, he gave them no time, he gave them no validation. He didn't even respond, he didn't even answer them. He didn't acknowledge them, he didn't give them any power in their life. I don't know if uh, you've sensed this, but uh, throughout my life, it's as if like critics follow me. Uh, different people saying different things, and maybe over the last two years, you might have heard things about this church and the direction this church is going. Maybe you even heard things about me. No, don't nod. Don't put your hand up. That'll just <laughs> discourage me. Um, but I've, I've, want, I've done what Nehemiah has done. I don't respond to the critics. I don't give them time. If someone's going to roll up their sleeves, if someone's saying, I'm behind you, Ian, I'm going to support you, if someone's saying, I'm part of this future, I'm going to be, I'm going to be right beside you, supporting you, but I have a few things that I am concerned about, let me, let, let me talk to you, I'm all ears. But for just the negative haters, the negative gainsayers, I'm like Nehemiah. We don't respond. My goal is not to change critics. My goal is to do the will of God. Because you never, ever convert critics. Never do. 
and there's no point in wasting your time trying to do it. You've got to set your face like a flint to do his will. One of the most challenging things I've found as well is this is that it's one thing to have spiritual opposition. It's one thing to have external opposition. It's one thing to have opposition of the critics. But it's another thing, and it's a deeper pain and a deeper challenge when you have opposition from people who are close to you, who loved you. I remember the time when uh, Sarah and I made the decision that we're going to leave Saudi Arabia, and we're going to go all out for what we sensed that God was calling us to do. We're going to go full-time, uh, and seek God for full-time ministry. And I remember someone close in our family, uh, not our immediate family, it wasn't Sarah, it wasn't the kids, but someone close in our family sat me down. He says, Ian, so, so, so tell me what you're doing right now. You're, 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 you're leaving this, this uh, incredible lifestyle. You're re- leaving all this salary. You're leaving a pension. You're leaving this p- significant position in this company. And, 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 and tell me again, what are you do- where are you going? Uh, I don't know. I just feel like God's, uh, God gave me a scripture, Abraham, he left the Earl of the Coldies not knowing where he was going, but he was seeking a city whose builder and maker was God. Oh, that's cutie, and that's lovely, you've got a nice verse of scripture, but, 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 but you're leaving all this, for, 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 where are you going again? I don't know. Where's the church? I don't know. Who are you going to meet? I don't know. And... The devastation of you're going to destroy your financial future. You're going to destroy your family. You're going to be left destitute. The negativity that was poured on. And sometimes even with the people who are close to you can discourage you so, so much. And yet, we've got to look at it and we've got to say, Sometimes people can be too negative and they don't have the same God and don't believe in the same God that I believe in. Because maybe you don't know the God and what he's able to break through the way that I've experienced God. And we just need to put our faith in God and we need to put our faith in what God has spoken to us to do. I've learned something in my life. I don't take too seriously High praise or negative criticism. High praise or negative criticism. I don't let high praise go to my head, and I don't want to let negative criticism go to my heart. I want to keep not focusing on what people think. I want to keep focusing on what God thinks. And this is what Nehemiah does. Because Nehemiah recognizes something. He doesn't answer to the critics. He doesn't answer to the people stirring up opposition. He answers ultimately to God. He has an audience of one. And what does he do in the text in verse 4? He turns round and he prays to God. Because when they go low, we go high. And we put our trust in one that's higher than us and higher than the people who are criticizing. And in verse 4 it says this, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. In other words, he had critics. He had people who were negative. He had the haters around him. And and listen to this prayer. Now, I don't recommend this prayer, okay? But but listen to this prayer. Uh, I've been known to pray this prayer when I'm in a bad mood sometimes. But listen to this. It says, Turn their insults back. 
on their head. Something about that prayer I, I quite like, but he's obviously going through a bit of a difficult day. Uh, this is before Jesus was talking about love your enemies and, and turn the other cheek and pray for those who despitefully use you. But listen to what he says. He says, give them over to the plunder of the land and captivity. Do not cover over their guilt and blot out their sins. He, he needs some nourishment, doesn't he? He needs some nurturing. He's going through a difficult time. But what I love about this is about Nehemiah's approach is this. He prayed to God, and then he got back to work. He prayed to God, and then he got back to work in the face of opposition. Sometimes we can be, some people can be overly spiritual and have no practical capacity. And other people can be overly practical and have no spiritual capacity in their life. But we're both, aren't we? We're both spiritual and we're both physical. We're both practical. We need to seek God for guidance, but then we have to take action. We need to say, Lord, I need your power in my life, but then we have to still pick up the shovel. And we still need to go to work. And there's a focus that we need in the face of opposition in our lives. And Nehemiah prayed as if everything depended on God, and he worked as if everything depended on himself. And this is what it says in verse 10. What do we see? It says, meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot build the wall. And this is what we notice. We, some, we make progress, and then opposition comes. We make progress, and then oppositions come. We take two steps forward and one step back. In the Christian life, it's not just plain sailing all the time. Everything is wonderful. It's just like rose-tinted glasses. No, we sometimes in life, quite often in life, it's two steps forward and it's one step back in our progress. And this is what I notice in, in verse 11. The people under Nehemiah, start to become vulnerable. They start to say, they're going to come and kill us. They're going to come and they're going to attack us. And quite often, when we have external opposition, one of the biggest challenges that we have is the challenge within. Our internal self-doubt. Our insecurities in our own life. And I'll be vulnerable with you this morning that the biggest battle that I often face it's not so much what's going on out there, but it's what's going on in here. It's my ability to put my face and my trust in God and keep on trusting Him. Not listening to the internal insecurities of my own life and my own heart, but I need to put my focus on Him. And what was Nehemiah's response to the, all the internal insecurities? Because he realized that external opposition will only be as loud as my internal securities allow it to be. And so what did he do? This is what he says in verse, in, in verse 14. He says, after I looked over everything, typical leader, he checked out everything. And after he looked after it, over everything, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord who is great and is awesome. Mm. Sometimes when the insecurities are playing up on the inside, when there's opposition on the outside, sometimes we just need to remember the Lord. We need to put our focus on him. And we need to remember all the goodness. You can imagine Nehemiah running up and down and speaking to the people and standing a little bit like that Braveheart scene on that movie when he's speaking to them. And he's saying, remember the Lord your God. Remember how he took you out of Egypt and out of bondage and out of slavery. And he split the Red Sea and he moved through it. And your enemies was destroyed. Remember how he guided you with a, a pillar of fire by night and a, a cloud by day. Remember how he sustained you with manna. This is the God that we serve, and that same God will deliver us out of this situation. And sometimes in our lives, we have to be reminded of the faithfulness and the goodness of our God in our lives. We can so often look at the opposition without and the internal insecurities within that we fail to focus on the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our life. And that's what Nehemiah did, and he exhorted people to remember the goodness of God. And I want to ask you the same question, how good is your memory management? How are you managing your memories in the face of opposition? Do you, do you always think about all the terrible things and what's happening? Or are you like David when he faced Goliath, and he says, uh, this uncircumcised Philistine, well, God delivered me from the bear, and he delivered me from the lion. What's he doing? He's looking back on past deliverances. And this same God is going to deliver me from Goliath. And finally, Nehemiah went on to say, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then he says this, and fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Oh yes, you might not be picking up physical guns and going to European battles, but the Bible says we still are in a fight. The Bible says we fight a good fight of faith. We're in a spiritual battle. And there's times when we have to stand up, when we see opposition in our lives, and we see opposition in our church, and we see opposition in our community, and we see opposition against the will of God in our nation, and we have to say, I'm going to fight. I'm going to remember the goodness of God, and I'm going to fight a good fight, a warfare. And I'm going to speak the word of God, and I'm going to hold on to my faith, and I'm going to continue to have a trowel in one hand, working but I'm also going to have a sword in the other, ready and prepared for the battle. And I want to ask you, as the worship band please comes, I want to ask you this morning on this Remembrance Day, what's the fight for you? What's the fight for you? The ne Nehemiah, with all the opposition and with all the challenge and all the pain, are you going to fight are you going to fight for your healing? Are you going to fight for your mental health? Are you going to fight to get out of debt? Are you going to fight for your children and your grandchildren to know Jesus? Are you going to fight for your nation and your community? Are you going to stand up and say, I see the opposition, but 
the weapons that I have are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. What is it in your life? Because I want you to make a decision this morning that as previous generations did it physically, we're going to do it spiritually. I'm going to stand up. I'm not going to let the devil have my family. I'm not going to let the devil have his way in my life. I'm going to fight for my nation. I'm going to fight for my community. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my very life because I'm in a spiritual fight. And I'm going to place my eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to take the word of God. And I'm going to fight for my health. I'm going to fight and say, Lord, I trust you. And I'm not going to allow the insecurities and doubts to have their way. Please stand. As we take this final moment of worship this morning, I want you to make that decision as you worship before the presence of the Lord.